Welcome to our podcast for College Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I am your host, Father Patrick Wainwright. The last couple of episodes, I spoke about what it means to have supernatural faith, that faith that is necessary for salvation, and about some of its characteristics. One of those characteristics is that our faith has to be all-encompassing. It should have it should affect our entire manner of living, our thoughts, and our choices. And that is exactly what happened in the life of a young man who died at 24 years of age in Italy. His name is Pier Giorgio Frassati. So today I invite a guest, Matthew Zahn, to explain and speak about his life, virtues and interior life. Matthew was born and raised near Los Angeles, California, went to college at UCLA, majoring in psychology. After that, he dedicated two years of his life to be a focused missionary and was stationed at the University of Oregon. He then spent around two years in the sermon at our House of Formation of Miles Christi here in Michigan, where we became good friends. He is now resuming his dedication to being a missionary with focus. Hi, Matthew. How are you doing? Great, Father Patrick. Thank you very much for having me on today. Great to have you here. And uh, we have here a, a picture, like a framed picture of Pier Giorgio Frassati here for those who, of course, this is an audio-only podcast, so you don't see what we have here in the studio. But it was, it was brought by um, Matthew to have here and so that he intercedes for us. So how did you become acquainted with uh, Pier Giorgio and how did you start to have a devotion to him? Absolutely. Yeah, actually, the, the icon that I have here uh, was given to me by the same person that really gave me my, the biggest introduction to Pier Giorgio. Uh, and that was my aunt Anne, actually. So shout, shout out to her. Uh, I think before thank you Anne, thank for you doing Auntie this. Anne. Uh, no, <laughs> before even then, I think he's he's pretty trendy these days, right? Blessed mm -hmm. Pierre Giorgio, along with others like Max Colby and and right. Therese of Lisieux. So uh, I heard about him when my aunt, for one of my birthdays, gave me a book called A Man of the Beatitudes, and this is one of the biographies of Blessed Pierre Giorgio. is written by his sister Luciana Frassati. So. Uh, after that, uh, she eventually gave me this icon really just two years ago now, and I've had it with me. So that's Wonderful. when I, yeah, my first introduction to to the man, Blessed Pure Giorgio. Wonderful. And why did you tell us a little bit about his life, uh, sort of a biography, so that we all are listeners and, you know, we can all learn a bit more about uh, Pier Giorgio? Absolutely. Yes. So he was born April 6th, 1901 in Turin, Italy, and he was born into a, a, a wealthy family. Uh, by today's standards and, and certainly then as well. Uh, his father was in the government. He was a, an Italian senator. And at, at some point during World War I, he became the Italian uh, ambassador to Germany. Uh, also, he, he was the owner of a uh, periodical, a newspaper, La Stampa. And right. You, so you've Which, heard of that. Yeah, it's like having the owning the USA Today or New York Times, something like that. Exactly. Or the Washington's po Washington Post. Right, yeah, yeah. right. So pretty, yeah, pretty big, big dude there. Yeah, so his, his family had a lot of means, certainly, growing up. And he, the dad was atheist, right? Yes, I think both of his parents, they, they certainly, they weren't much of a support to him in his faith growing up. So I, right. I just, yeah, there are different accounts, but... Uh, yeah, so his father may may have well, in fact, been atheist, but uh, or ag agnostic. That's what I think. I okay. think he was an agnostic, and his mom was uh, Catholic, but not very practicing. Sure, something sure. like that. Yeah, because it was very cultural. I'm sure at that at that time, uh, especially in Italy. So, and and Pier Giorgio was one uh, that, from a very young age, displayed a lot of piety. So there are stories uh, in some of the accounts, some of the biographies that explain uh, when he was three or four years old, just. Had it, having a, a supernatural kind of uh, attentiveness 
First right. of all, just to the to the poor, especially. So where they were at, they would get beggars that would come by and knock on their door and ask for alms. And he would be really upset if, if any of his family ever turned someone away. Of course. Um, so there was already uh, a heart uh, that burned for others, and especially for the poor when he was very young. And there's other stories about the family being at mass on Sundays, and there would be a, a racket or, or a, a noise that would come from the back of the church, and everybody would turn around. But little Pure Giorgio, mm-hmm. four or five year old Pure Giorgio, is laser focused. Good for him. Uh, up at the front. So it was just things that are you know uncommon, unnatural. So from a very young age, he kind of manifested, um, uh, yeah, religiosity, religiosity right. at the very mm-hmm. least. So. Uh, things that maybe aren't typical for for kids that age. Uh, and then, so he, he began his education. Of course, his family had great means. So he and his sister kind of had private tutors. They were brought up in, in uh, yeah, very well educated as well. But he started to slip behind. And this mm-hmm. this became very clear. Uh, by the time he was around 12 years old, he was really struggling, particularly with Latin. So uh, at some point, his he, he was almost held back. He was transferred to a school where he could get... Um, a little more special attention. Right, and also Latin, I guess, in that time was a uh, commonplace in, in basic education. Also, he was part of the elite of society, I think, because right. his dad was an ambassador to Germany and owner of a periodical. Of course, I mean, Absolutely. they were an important family in the society. Right, so the, so he began to be educated with the Jesuits when he was when he was 12 years old. So that was the, the fallback. Right, right? It, so, was, it was embarrassing. I mean, he talks right. about this in letters. It was an embarrassment to have to be sent away, uh, so not keeping track with his sister and, and other people oh. that they were going to school with. So, interestingly enough, this is, uh, and you can see, this is how God tends to work. So much good and so much fruit came from this thing that, you know, he probably accepted in humility. Right, well, how we say God writes straight with crooked lines. Yes, yes. And I, sometimes what we think might be bad for us or an embarrassment it's a means of, for God to bring you closer to what, whom you should be. Absolutely. I wonder at the time, I, I know there were letters back and forth because they, they sent him away. So he writes letters back and forth to his parents describing this. Um, and so I'm sure that they go more detail about his, his spiritual state and everything that was right, going on right. when that happened. But so, there's, there's a book with all the letters of Pier Giorgio. So yes. if anyone is interested in, in reading more, the, I'll put it in the, in the description, the name of the book, uh, Letters of Pier Giorgio oh, Frasati, perfect. something like that. Great. Yeah, it's awesome that we have those things. So it, it was with the Jesuits uh, that a, a, a many people agree this began his great devotion to the Eucharist. So it was something that one of his uh, educators there, uh, who was a priest, uh, petitioned to allow him to receive communion on a daily basis, which is something at the time was not very common. Uh, Pope St. Pius X was... Uh, yeah, he was encouraging exactly. it. Right? So because what happens is that uh, the, there, are, I mean, and it's okay. You know, there are different moments in the church history where some things are 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 practices, and one of those practices was that people received communion once a week, and that was a normal practice for a devout person, right? So right. Uh, Pope Pius X and other saints, even Saint Ignatius of Loyola, and that's why the Jesuits connection there it has a lot to do. Uh, Saint Ignatius had encouraged in the past communion, frequent communion. And there you have Pier Giorgio asking for daily communion. And that was like a very unique thing, if you want, that some people could be granted the permission, right? Right. And so there are a lot of stories. This was the beginning, but, you know, he would live, uh, he had lived half of his life at that point. He would live 12 more years. So for 12 more years, uh, a daily communicant. And in a lot of the stories about his life, he would go to great lengths uh, to, to make sure that he received communion, especially if he was 
going on trips, especially some of the hikes that you know he he has become very famous for. He would make sure that he was getting to mass at an, at you know very very early in the morning uh, before setting out on some of these hikes. So his devotion to the Eucharist specifically is something that uh, personally, but but he also made it part of his apostolate as well. Right, and there you see how he did not go to Mass when he had nothing else to do, and he had, like, in downtime, he would go to Mass. He would make a, a special effort to find time to go to Mass, even if he had to wake up earlier, um, you know, before time to go to, to school or before going on a hike, and he would make sure he went to Mass at a more sacrificial moment, if you want, right, right. To, to be able to go to Mass. Yes, exactly. So this, this became... Uh, one of the one of his devotions, one of the practices, right, on a pillar his pillar of his spiritual life. Absolutely, absolutely. And he came into contact with the the Salesians, which were uh, uh, Saint John Bosco was right. preceded founder. him exactly. I mean, only decades before, right in the right. The, the middle or the end of the nineteenth century. The end of the uh, yeah eighteen hundreds uh, right. toward the end. Yeah, Correct. so in the same area, and the Salesians actually, his father had connections with the Salesians, and he received some schooling from them as well. And it was there that he began uh, his devotion as well to uh, weekly, if not more frequently, confession. So okay. he had, a, he had a, that was also part of his, uh, one of his practices. And I think what's important to note, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the things that he did, is that they, these, it was not a checklist that he was creating. There was no mechanical aspect to these things that these represented for him, his love and devotion to God. And that these are his expressions of that love. It was never... Pure Georgia was never the type of guy that's like, okay, let me let me do all these things, and now I know that I'm I'm loving God. It was the the, the sprang from uh, the, the love that he had for God and his desire to uh, to love Him and to be intimate with Him. So, right, very good, very good. And yeah, the, he also came in contact. This is a little bit later uh, with the Vincentians, so uh, and and the Saint Vincent de Paul Society. When he was sixteen, uh, there was a they would have conferences. And he's also very well known for, for his work with the poor. And I had mentioned a little bit from a very young age, he had already displayed kind of a heart for the poor. So he, mm-hmm. had, he was involved with St. Vincent de Paul, and then eventually uh, even with the Dominicans. So he, he kind of, uh, it was a mixed bag, different spiritualities, but you see him all represented in his life. And with the Dominicans, of course, that's where uh, he really, uh, his, his devotion to Our Lady, particularly through the Rosary, began to take root. So that was, he was carrying the rosary around all the time. Uh, people would ask him, you know, you know, what, what is this that, that you're carrying with you? And he, and, you know, he would say, uh, referring to the rosary, he said, you know, I, I carry my will in my pocket, my, my will and testament. Like my testament. Exactly. Right. So, so all this happened throughout his entire life, through high school and college education, if you want. Now he went with the Jesuits to finish basically his high school. Mm-hmm. And then he, Made a, he started studying engineering and he made a change there. How, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely, yeah. So he started studying, it was at the Royal Academy, uh, Pontifical Academy in, in Turin. And he, it was a mining, he was a mining engineer. That's what he was studying uh-huh. for. So um, yeah, what's incredible about Frasati is that, and what's important, I think, for as, as college students to understand, he always knew the why behind what he was doing. He was very much motivated um, by a desire to bring Christ to others through everything that he was doing. So, you know, he, he even says uh, that his motivation for uh, becoming a mining engineer was to serve Christ better among the miners. And 
uh, as a result of this, the way that he looked at his studies was very much from a, a supernatural perspective. So he he desired his desire for a fruitful apostolate amongst the miners is what encouraged him, or or you might say buoyed him up amidst the the very arduous studies that that were you know involved in in, in engineering. So now one question, uh, mm-hmm. because I think you you re- referred to this one uh, off uh, air the air. <laughs> Uh, when we were talking before. Um, so he at one point had to discern his vocation, right? right. So uh, generally speaking, in a spiritual life, maybe in, around when you're 19, 20, 21, you, know, you want to discern what God is asking of you. Right. And he discerned something about the priesthood, and then he decided to stay in Italy. How, how was that? Right, yes. So I, I think for a lot of young men that are uh, going to daily mass or displaying some kind of uh, devotion outside extraordinary or o- outside of what's ordinary. A lot of people think, oh man, maybe this guy's going to be a priest. And, right. and, and in fact, this is something that had crossed his mind and certainly he had prayed about a lot. But like I mentioned, his father was uh, the in- Italian ambassador to Germany. So when they were in Germany, he continued his work among the poor like he was doing when he was in Italy. And it was there that uh, things were, socially were a little different. So the priests in Germany were closer to the people. Somehow in Italy, and you might have a better idea of this, there was a little more distance between, you know, priests weren't necessarily seen in the streets working right. among uh, the poorest of the poor. He saw it in Germany, but he realized he's not he's not going to be in Germany forever. He was called to be in Italy. That's where he was from. So he right. said, if if the situation in Italy was like it is in Germany, he would he would want to be a priest. But he realized his vocation primarily was to work in and among the poor. And he, and he couldn't do that right. as a priest. So it's interesting he he understood that was primary but then on top of that and we discussed this as well but he also at some point when he was in college fell in love so there was a mm, there was a woman that he, okay. that he fell in love with this is well recorded between uh letters that he sent uh for, to his sister talking about this he kept it under wraps for a long time right the girl didn't never i heard the, the girl never knew never that knew never he, knew he, he, had, wild. he had this affection for her right right and the reason part of this is because um the, it, uh, some of the biographies don't explain exactly but i'm assuming maybe her family was from a different uh social sphere right. and, that happened yeah right. the same thing with the priests there the, the social things right, right, there right. are social circumstances that uh condition our particular vocation right that's uh, that's that's how it is throughout history so know? he knew his parents didn't approve of of this girl uh, when when there had been mention uh and and he, he knew that that would be the case and out of obedience to them uh never yeah, never engaged in any kind of relationship, never pursued right, her never in any pursued way. Her. So, Correct. Uh, kind of wild. Yeah, I mean, he was yeah, very difficult, I'm sure, in, in that. Right. I also, I, th- I think there were, he had some premonition that he wasn't going to live. Right. That's, I think you were talking about that before, that uh, he perceived somehow, somehow spiritually that he had to be more dedicated to his apostolate and that his life was going to be short in some way. So he probably, that premonition kept him from, dead, uh, let's say, pursuing this girl completely. Right. Yeah, and I think that's the important thing, again, is that everything, because it, it can be easy in college to uh, be selfish in, in an excessive way. You need to uh, be concerned about yourself and, get, and getting your studies done and doing well. Um, it's very easy to slip into something, uh, not necessarily sinful, but uh, yeah, being self-absorbed, That's that's kind of, what right. happens in college. And I think that's another characteristic of his life, that he was completely the opposite, right? Completely he was never self-absorbed, not self-centered, not selfish. On the contrary, he was always 
willing to serve others in any way and shape or form that he could. Right. right? Yeah. So even in his studies, yeah, I mean, the, that, that question was always before him, you know, what am I doing this for? What is the purpose of this? And, and for him, it was for his own sanctification and the sanctification of others. That was beyond question. Right. And that's another very good point that you made just there. When we, I mean, when I talk to college students and high school students that are thinking about going to college, right? How important it is to tell them very clearly, whatever you're going to study, ask yourself, what is it that God wants of you? This that you're going to study, what are you going to study it for? And that's where the answer to that question helps discern, am I doing the right decision? If I'm studying only to be famous or to be successful, where is the glory of God involved in this? Where's the benefit of my neighbor? How am I going to bring Christ to others with my studies? And uh, Pierre Giorgio gives us a very good example in that sense that he wanted to study mining engineering because he wanted to be through with the miners, with the miners working with them and evangelizing them in some way, as you know, with with the ability of being an engineer and, and right. having that capacity. And yeah, and he would talk about you know he was very serious about his studies as well. So. There were times his family had a vacation home up in Pallone. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced, but uh, n- northwest of, w- of where they were living, a summer house. And a lot of his friends would go there during the summer. And actually, the final summer before he would end up dying, uh, he stayed back in Turin where it was really hot and humid, mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Well, all his friends were off vacationing so that he could you know, hunker down and, and study. And also, right. he was able to remain behind and, and care for the poor. Right. And I, I think they, they asked him, why don't you come out? And he said, well, if everybody goes on vacation, who's going to take care of the poor? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So, he wanted to stay and do that. So Good for him. And, that, and, <laughs> and what he would do as well, sometimes, you know, he's reading these dense uh, engineering and science books, and he would often talk about breaking it up with spiritual reading, reading scripture, and also reading uh, other, other things, uh, recreational reading. Like, he would read Dante. He loved Dante. So... That's another little thing that he did to kind of to get through it, um, mm-hmm. you know, with the goal in mind. So, okay, so let's let's continue with his biography, right? So he finished uh, high school, he started college. What next? What happened next? And how is it that he came to die? Right, yeah. So he actually, he ended up dying just before completing his degree. So he, he hadn't even quite completed a degree. You can imagine a program... Uh, it was maybe a master's program or something. So right. he was 24 five, years four old. To five, to, four to five years. Exactly. Yeah. So he was he hadn't quite completed it. And then actually he was gearing up uh, to enter the military because it was compulsory up until the 90s at some point for, for all Italian men to enter the military at some point. So he was actually gearing up for that. He would have done that right after, but then he ended up dying in 1925 at the, at the, age, at the age of 24. So I, I guess some, some other things that are to talk about, he was very involved in a lot of different uh, organizations uh, over the course of his time in college. Uh, political organizations that he he was involved for his faith, right? Right, primarily. yes, absolutely. Uh, one of them was called the Balbo Circle. Uh, there were others as well, uh, a kind of kind of like Catholic action uh, within Italy, right? So, I mean, because you can imagine, it's World War One. we're talking about right. the advent of fascism and things like that, where, Correct. Uh, you know, and, and his father was also a politician, so... He was fighting for the faith in in the public square, correct uh, sphere. Yes. So, and I, I think with all of this, it, it can it can be easy to think, man, he lived through World War One. He was seeing some really difficult times, and certainly he was. You know, how in the world was this guy so joyful? Joy was one of the characteristics that, mm. that a lot of people know him for, and I think that is something that is so needed now here Absolutely. and today in the world. It's something that, yeah, being an apostle of joy. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of times, and this is my tendency as well. When I heard about Pier Giorgio, I thought, "Oh, joy! How is he so joyful?" And, and you think, "Oh, well, he's you know he was he was a saint, so of course." I mean, that's 
That's just how it was. But really, I mean, if you look at his life, and we've mentioned a little bit of already, there was a lot of suffering. There was a lot of suffering. Right. Not only, you know, we mentioned at the beginning, he was, there was this disconnect between his parents and himself that, uh, yeah, they weren't believing, they weren't practicing. They thought he was crazy, you know, right, and he would come home right, and, right. and all Completely these things he crazy. was doing. I mean, you've, there are a lot of different examples of it, but he would come home without shoes or, or without a, a jacket because he had been, he had spent all day among the poor and, and, you know, he would be giving away literally his clothes. Right, right. I, I heard of another example that maybe his parents would also be very upset about right. this, right? When he had to travel, he would travel by train, mm. which I, to begin with, I guess that that would have been also somewhat of a practice of poverty for an elite society right. person, right? Uh, but not only that, he would also uh, travel in third class. First class, second class, third class. And some his friends would ask him, why do you why do you travel in third class, you know? And he would say, well, because there is no fourth class. And then I would have <laughs> traveled in fourth class, you know? Right. Uh, so that's pretty in impressive because that's uh, a way of practicing spiritual poverty, right? So many times, even when we speak about uh, um, the gospel and blessed are the poor in spirit, people ask, well, what does spiritual poverty mean? Does it mean that I have to give away everything that I have or not? And properly speaking, it's not necessarily what you possess but how you use it and how is your heart attached to it or not, right? So in this case, we see an example, as many other saints who were wealthy uh, in, a, in a social way, well, wealthy, they had money, but they didn't, they were not greedy, and they used it to the best of their ability for the benefit of others, and they were themselves living detached and poorly, right? So in this case, he, would, he could have traveled in a better quality car let's say and, yeah. he, and he would instead travel in third class to be just to practice poverty and that's a great example because it's not just about talking about the poor he also lived out his uh virtue of poverty spiritual poverty right i think there's a story i think it was his 21st birthday his father said it was going to give him a brand new car so exactly what you're saying i'll, I'll give you a car or the equivalent this is 1920 yeah you know, so, I mean, they didn't have cars back right then, really so the you know the only the wealthiest could and so I said, I'll give you a car or the equivalent in money, in the cash value. I said, oh, I'll take the money. And so he got the money and, and immediately gave it away to to the poor. I mean, so all wow. of it, everything that he used, he used it in a few different ways. That's pretty amazing. Explain. So that kind of, and you know, some some of his friends would say, oh, you know, he, he, Pure Georgie would talk about all these these high values and and living in a in a Christian society, and and they said, well, easy for you to say, you know, you come from a, a rich family, you have all these means. And he said, you know, I would renounce my inheritance you know without without questioning it wow good so, for him yeah he, he put his money where his mouth is certainly and that's you know that's that's eventually as well how he ended up dying because right. of his apostle with the poor so how why don't you tell us how it is that he died why he died and so forth right and what happened after his death because that's also important absolutely right? his funeral. absolutely so like we said we, we haven't detailed it uh in its entirety i mean it's incredible the amount of time that he spent with the poor and and I, we're talking not only with maybe homeless people on the street but he was going and he was visiting houses where there were lepers and people that were mm. very seriously ill and you know it was through this kind of work that he he eventually he con contracted polio poliomyelitis and uh which at the time this is before there were any vaccines or anything like that and uh it, the way that it details it in one of the accounts that i read it was there's an incubation period, of course, and then as soon as he started experiencing symptoms, within five days he was dead. 
Oh my! And it, for those that don't know, I mean, polio. It, you you have fever, flu-like symptoms, but it also there's a it starts muscle paralysis, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it, so it leaves you paralyzed. So eventually, and he was you know, up until the last minutes, he was doing everything that he could, and until when he wasn't able to move, even he was scrawling notes, kind of in you know, and scribbling on paper to make sure that this person is taken care for. Uh, wow. Or, you know, this person, this family receives, you know, this donation or... Wow, incredible. Um, and then, yeah, so you eventually... And what happens eventually is that your your lungs, your breathing apparatus is paralyzed. So within five days, it was a, it was a long and, and painful death um, that he experienced. Wow. And so then he passed away. Right. Uh, and well, the funeral came and what happened? Yeah, that was that, that was one of the first stories I remember hearing about him is that you know, he has this... There's this funeral procession and... This entire time, his parents were aware of uh, him being out and about and doing some odd things, but they had no idea the extent uh, to which he was working with the poor. And, you know, they eventually found out that's how he died. But this funeral procession go- is going through the streets of Turin and thousands upon thousands of, wow. of, of homeless and poor and sick people are, are joined the procession. And this, this is really yeah, what opened his family's eyes to, to what really had been going on. Right. Life. And probably also to the church to realize, okay, this man is a saint, right? Right, right. Um, so good. So then, um, all right. So then, devotion to him begins, right? And then we have. I would like to share um, the intercession of the saints, right? So when the saints are in heaven, uh, we can pray to them through their intercession, so that so that we may obtain graces from God. And these graces are given by God. The saints are human beings like we are, but because their souls are in heaven in the presence of God, have a they have an intercessory power. And in the case of uh, blessed, well, at that time, Pierre Georgia, um, people were praying to him as we do in the Catholic tradition. And there was a very impressive example, uh, cure. And I'm going to relate that so that uh, we can also have him in a, as an intercessor. Um, so there are many miracles that were uh, recognized by many people and uh, witnessed by many people. But the church has to officially recognize one so that he may become uh, or, or be declared uh, blessed, right? And then there should be another miracle, which is not yet uh, confirmed or approved, to become uh, a saint, right? To be called a saint. So the one that uh, the church officially recognized was uh, the healing of Domenico Salan in 1933. At the time, Domenico was 40 years old, and he was suffer- suffering a, from a tubercular disease of the spine paralyzed, and he was near death. So a priest visited him on December 28, 1933, and brought a small prayer card of St. Pierre, Pierre Georgia. He was not blessed at the time. and um, But the cause of canonization was already in process. So the priest knew, well, uh, Pierre Georgia needs a, a, a miracle approved, so let's pray to him. So when he they did this, they prayed to uh, Pierre Georgia, uh, thanks to this priest's uh, suggestion, And Domenico was miraculously cured and actually lived 35 more years. So this was impressive. And finally, that that miracle was uh, approved, let's say, in in 1989. And Blessed John Paul II, St. John Paul II, uh, beatified him on May 20th, 1990. And here we come to one important thing that we forgot to say at the beginning. Uh, you, Matthew, and I have something in common. That's right. That is really close to Pierre Giorgio, and that's that we're born on July 9th, the yep. same day. Right. It's incredible. Yes, and and so the fourth of July is the day that Pierre Giorgio 
uh, died, which is so that that is kind of commemorated as his feast. You know, he's not a saint yet, but that's that's the day. So, so whenever we, we remember the Fourth of July, yeah. we also remember Pierre Giorgio. Right. So, we, anyone hearing, remember Fourth of July, Pierre Giorgio Frassati. That's right. We're within his the octave, day. so that's good. Very good, very good. So, and um, I, I guess another yes, thing that's kind ahead. of interesting related any to that other is, things that you, yeah, I mean, just a fact also too, even with the, with the man, the man that was healed, Domenico, um, was suffering from a disease that was very similar to what. Pierre Giorgio died from. I, I don't know. I, I know there's other stories like that with other saints. Right, right. It's interesting. That right, and there's another one uh, that I saw recently, uh, and I, I'm, I'm going to put the link to this YouTube video on the show notes. So anyone uh, listening, check the show notes, and there I will put the link to the books that we're talking about, and also um, I'll put the a prayer we're going to say at the end. And this, mm, it's okay, it's uh, pretty miraculous. I wouldn't call it a miracle yet, because it hasn't been approved by the church. But it's um, a YouTube video of a family sharing the story of their son. Their son, in around 2015, went off to college, and he was uh, working in the roof of his recently rented um, dorm room, uh, which was a house, right? Mm. But uh, like a family house. And he fell, and he was uh, he was knocked unconscious. Oh, wow. Unconscious. So some, somebody found him. They called the family. And they were really concerned. The brothers were concerned. Uh, the parents were concerned. Hmm. They took them to the hospital, and he had his situation was uh, close to death, right? So he had injured his brain. His brain had shifted like about an inch or something like that. It was uh, swelling, and they were trying to get the, keep the swelling down, but it was not possible. They had to put him in into an induced coma, and he was unresponsive. So uh, I'm gonna tease it a little bit. Hopefully, you all can check the the video. But um, in in that time, the mother heard about Pier Giorgio Frassati. Someone sent her a picture uh, similar to the one, but it's a picture picture. So right. um, from Pier Giorgio, um, and she started praying to him and told everybody else to pray to Pier Giorgio, blessed Pier Giorgio. Um, and then his son, the this young man called Kevin Becker started to recover. First, he moved a little hand and then a little bit more and then finally he got a complete recovery. So, the doctors were amazed at his cure, right? And then he said, uh, once he was able to talk, that uh, he had a dream uh, as he was in coma that he was in his uh, room in that uh, dorm room in, at college and a buddy seemed to come in and he didn't recognize him. He said, who are you? Oh, I'm your roommate. I don't roommate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you, you need to stay here because he was about to leave the the house. And he, and uh, this guy told him, no, no, no. You need to stay here. You need to stay here. Okay. So he stayed here, and then he started to recover and woke up. And then the mother said, and who was he? I don't know. And then the mother showed him the picture of Blessed Pier Giorgio, and Kevin said, that's the guy. That's the guy I saw in my dream. Right. So pretty impressive. Um. So anyway, so that's another impressive miracle, if you want, or story that hopefully it's an, uh, approved as a miracle. Uh, it has to go through all the Vatican approvals, right? But maybe right. it's one of those many that are, one of them has to be chosen to be for his uh, be at, um, canonization. All right. Any other anecdote that you have or any other way that it has, has impacted your life? Yeah, I mean, I guess what I could just say, he has a lot, he's very quotable as well. He wrote a lot of letters. He gave even speeches to some of these organizations and groups that we had referenced. And I think one of the 
things that has struck me the most. It's a, it's a quote where he starts, I don't remember it perfectly, but he says something like, we who by the grace of God are Catholics must not you know, squander the best years of our lives living for things which don't, in fact, bring any true happiness. You hear echoes of this sometimes in, in Pope St. John Paul II when he ta- he's talking at World Youth Days, but it's this principle, this this fact, this beautiful kind of awesome thing, and this is why I, I think so many people look at someone like Blessed Pure Giorgio Versati is because he gave God everything. And not only that, but he gave him the best years of his life, his youth. Right, I think this right, is something right. that, is awe-inspiring and people, you know, we look, and I certainly look at him and I, I want to do the same. I right. want to give God everything uh, and hold nothing back. So Absolutely. And also it's typical temptation of the world to say, no, give your best years of the youth to worldliness, right? To sin, to uh, partying, to having fun, to making money, to spending it and so forth, you right. know, to do all these crazy things. And many are attracted by that because maybe later in life I cannot do it. So maybe then I have to form a family, you know, and I won't be able to be free like I'm now. So instead, Pierre Giorgio gives you that the opposite. No, this is if these are the best years of your life, dedicate them to the glory of God, right? to save your neighbor, to help your neighbor. That's awesome. So, well, very good. Well, I encourage you. So we're going we're gonna to start getting here to the end of our episode. So I encourage you all to, first of all, Pray to uh, Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati to help you become saints and also for his intercession. There's a prayer we're going to say. I'm going to read it right now uh, so everybody gets a chance to read it, to pray it together with us. Uh, and I'm going to put it in the show notes so you can find it. It's a prayer approved um, for, for use and maybe you can get a miracle done by his, by his intercession. So the, the prayer goes like this and we'll say it all together uh, spiritually. I'm going to say it out loud. O merciful God, who through the perils of the world deigned to preserve by your grace your servant, Pierre Giorgio Frassati, pure of heart and ardent of charity, listen, we ask you, to our prayers, and if it is in your designs that he be glorified by the Church, show us your will, granting us the graces we ask of you through his intercession, by the merits of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So that's the first thing I encourage you all to do, to pray to Pierre Giorgio to help you uh, become better people, become saints and virtuous, and also to help you reach out to others. And the second one is to try to imitate him in some of his virtues, particularly what I would recommend is his fervent love for the Holy Eucharist and his desire to bring others to Christ through his apostolate, right? So we can do those two things, to go more frequently to the Eucharist, to Jesus and the Eucharist, and to try to bring others to the faith through um, through apostolate, right? So we, he he dedicated many hours to uh, all night adoration, right? Oh, all, all the time, yeah. Starting from a very young age, he was he was doing. I mean, he I mean he went up to a a, a seminary, a group of priests that I don't know if it was a monastery or something, and he said, "Hey, fathers, can I join you?" And they're like, "Oh, you know, I, I don't think you're ready for this." He's like, "No, I've been doing this since I was young." So he yeah, he would That's pray awesome. nocturnal adoration all the time, all That's night. That's awesome. Okay, very good. Well, Matthew, thank you very, very much for all this wisdom that you shared with us. Uh, and that will be all for today. Thank you very much, uh, everyone, for joining us. As we just shared, while his entire life was of the greatest importance in his life, Blessed Pierre Georgia also had a clear commitment to doing apostolate, sharing his faith. So you can do something similar as well, to bring the gospel to those around you. So make sure you share this episode with your friends. 
so they too can learn about the saints, particularly Pier Giorgio, and their exemplar intercession. Besides, remember to subscribe to this uh, show through Apple or Google or Spotify to receive all the future episodes. And if you like this episode, please consider writing a positive review or rating it on Apple Podcasts. So thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. May God bless your day. <music>